Tonight I'm going to be uh, preaching from just one verse of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 4. And uh, as I've told you before, uh, preaching is not an exact science. And what I mean by that is knowing what to preach, uh, knowing the Lord's leadership, having a sense of what's the right thing to do, uh, whenever that is. There, I mean, it doesn't. First, they don't send it to you from Lifeway, and if they did, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want me to use it because you want me to preach something that you feel that and, that, and I feel that I'm led of the Lord to preach. So that's up to me from, from week to week, from Sunday to Sunday. And so in praying about what to preach, uh, the Lord just providentially led me, and I can't tell you exactly how because I don't know exactly how, I came to this verse, Mark chapter 1, verse 4. And I read it, and as I read it, uh, <clears throat> it began to interest me. This one simple verse that said, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, <clears throat> as you know, John the Baptist was not a Baptist. He was a baptizer. Uh, in my church at Camden, Alabama, we had an, a church library that went back. The oldest book that I found in it was uh, a hymnal from the 1830s. And one of the books in the library was the history of the Baptist from John the Baptist to the present day. But John the Baptist wasn't a Baptist. He was a baptizer, and he got that reputation because of, of this verse and other things about him in the scripture. So there's nothing that ties him to us denominationally. So we need to know that. And then if you know anything about the Gospel of Mark, you know Mark's fondness for one particular word. It is the word immediately because that seems to be how everything happens in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and so that word appears 39 times in the little gospel of Mark, but it appears 10 times in the first chapter, and it does so to give us a sense of the supernatural and the divine timeline of things. Things happen immediately in the providence of God. To us, against the backdrop of our watch and our calendar, sometimes it seems to take forever, but in God's activity, it's happening immediately, just when he wants it to. That word, however, does not appear, as you see, in this fourth verse. In connection with the ministry of John the Baptist, instead, John introduces, Mark introduces us to John and his preaching in a rather unusual way. Doesn't look unusual to you. Doesn't look unusual on the surface. It didn't look that unusual to me until I looked up the word the word appeared. So number one, John appeared. That's the first thing. That's simply the first point of the message is that John appeared. It is the, and in the Greek, it is the phrase came into being. That's not a big thing. It's a simple little Greek word. Uh, but if you want to see the potency of that phrase and the potency of that word, you can go to the Gospel of John and look at chapter 1, verse 2, where the same word is used in this way. All things came into being by him, and without, 
And without him, nothing has come into being that came into being. It's that word exist. It was made to exist. And so there is a sense of the supernatural here that comes in the gospel of, of Mark about John the Baptist. He appeared. He came into being in the wilderness. It was a divine appointment. But don't suppose that John's appearance was the only supernatural appearance in Scripture. And we know it was. I mean, we know about his life. We know about how uh, Zacharias was promised that he would have this son and that his assignment was to name him John, and we know that he did. And John leapt in his mother's womb because the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, but he appeared in the wilderness, just seemingly out of nowhere, although he had a legacy and had a family, there's something supernatural about John. But we also will see in just a little bit that Mark is going to be telling us about Jesus. And we know that also there's a supernatural uh, appearance of Jesus here in the same way, with or without introduction or background, his appearance was also supernatural in that it was a divine appointment. What about outside Scripture? Out, not in the Bible. Are there people who come to the kingdom for such a time as this and for divine appointment in supernatural ways? Well, absolutely, that's, that's true. Every person who comes to God's kingdom and God's purpose has a supernatural entrance because it is by divine appointment. All we have to do is look back in the Old Testament at the story of Jeremiah. And although Jeremiah never leapt in his mother's womb, nor, it was, nor was it said that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, yet we read in Scripture that God said to him, Before I, that's the significant verse, by the way, in light of the, the discussion in our nation, in light of uh, uh, executive orders and, super, and, and Supreme Court rulings look at this verse uh, Jeremiah 1 4 listen to it before I God says before I formed you in the womb I knew you and before you were born I consecrated you and I have appointed you a prophet to the nations in the life of every child of God my life in your life there's a sense of the supernatural of the divine appointment of a mission of a purpose. The divine timing is all around your life, though you may not see it yet, and that in, in, in his time, the purpose for which he has for you will appear. You, you'll be in the right place at the right time, not because you're making the right decisions, but because God is guiding your life. So John the Baptist appeared. It was a supernatural appearance, and it was a divine appointment. Just like Jesus came, uh, Paul would say in the book of Galatians, in due time, it was in, in the right time. Not only did he appear, but look at where he appeared. The second thing we see is that John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, out of nowhere, into nowhere, and unknown in the unknown, in isolation, out in the wilderness, for a purpose known only to God, uh, no doubt it was the isolation of preparation. It was the isolation of sanctification. It was the isolation of contemplation where John the Baptist had no one but God. That too was a divine appointment. I love the stories of the wilderness 
in the Bible and how God uses difficult moments and difficult places like that to shape the life of his people. No doubt he's used a wilderness experience to shape your life. And if he hasn't used one of those to shape your life, you can, get, you can be guaranteed that he will. The wilderness is a time of loneliness. It's a time of barrenness. It's often a time of emptiness and helplessness, along with a sense of hopeless uncertainty. What am I doing here? Why am I here? How am I going to get from this point to wherever it is that God is going to lead me? So initially, God takes his servant to the wilderness, allowing that servant to feel isolated, abandoned, and alone, wondering if God will ever use him, if God will ever use me, if God ever will have an assignment for me again. Sometimes we feel that way. We think of Moses, who spent 40 years in the wilderness, never considering, never dreaming, during one single day of those 40 years that God would ever renew his purpose for his life. Then with all the suddenness of immediately that we find in the Gospel of Mark, we find Moses standing before a burning bush and then just as immediately standing before Pharaoh as the leader of God's people, those 40 years were years of isolation, separation, preparation, contemplation, and sanctification awaiting the perfect timing of God. It is so in the life of every child of God. So it may be that you find yourself in the wilderness. You see no purpose there. You can't see what God's doing. You see no promise there. You can't even sense God's presence there. But when you're in the wilderness, you're there by divine appointment just as John was there and God was at work in his life in that wilderness. So John the Baptist appeared. He came into being. That's supernatural. And when he appeared, he appeared in the wilderness by divine appointment. But number three, in this simple verse, we see that John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching. What does it mean to preach? Well, you know what it looks like to you. It looks like uh, <clears throat> when I was down in Agricola, uh, you remember the McDermott's. Uh, that lived down in Barton. Brother John Henry knew the McDermott's. Well, Mitchell McDermott had a sister named Patsy McDermott, and she married James Holcomb, some of you may remember. And they had a little boy named Barry, and Barry drew a picture of me preaching in the pulpit of Agricola. And the picture was me standing in the pulpit, smoke was coming out of my head, and there was a train coming about to run into the building. He thought I was mad. He said, Brother Eddie's mad and smoke is coming out of his head. And that's, that's the way I suppose it looks to you on occasion. But the word preach means to proclaim, to tell, often urging acceptance of the message with warnings of consequences for not doing so. And it's uttering or delivering a message from God uh, as a messenger or a herald. And the, and the person doing it should do it with a a sense of, of, of the burden of it, of the urgency of it, and, and should reflect in his own personality the weight and importance of that which he delivers. Uh, preaching brings with it the personality of the preacher, and every preacher's different. But there are times when the preacher's personality disappears and the message takes on a life of its own even as the preacher is preaching it. And we're talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist in the wilderness. 
preaching. What was that like? Let me tell you something that happened on July the 8th, 1741. Jonathan Edwards started a sermon that he'd not finished. You may have heard of it. It may have been forced to read it in literature. The sermon was titled Sinners in the Hands of, of an Angry God, and it was preached at a time when the fires of Great Awakening were burning in New England. Now, I thought before I got ready for this message that Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God kindled that, but no, it didn't. It was just preached at that specific point in time. But it's, it's important to understand that the place where Edwards preached it with effectiveness was up until the moment that he preached it there, distinctly resistant to what God was doing across the rest of New England. It was a place called Enfield, Massachusetts, and that's where he was, he was preaching at this particular occasion. His home was Northampton. That's where he preached normally, and he had preached sinners in the hands of an angry God in Northampton, but uh, there were no, nothing happened. Like, like most sermons preachers preach, unfortunately, nothing happened. There was no particular response or emotion when he preached that sermon at Northampton. But now here he was at Enfield, this town holding out against the revival, and God blessed the preaching of that sermon in an extraordinary manner. One tradition has it that Edwards was not even the preacher assigned to preach that day. He was not the designated. He was a stand-in. Such is the strange providence of God. And with him was a company of ministers who entered the meeting house where the sermon was to be preached. Teams traveled around trying to spread the revival. And as one participant later recalled, when the ministers entered the church at Enfield, they stated, the gathered people in that church were thoughtless and vain. By comparisons with other towns at the time, the people were not even showing any particular interest, let alone great passion, regarding the things of God. In fact, they hardly conducted themselves with common decency. There was no atmosphere of readiness, seriousness, or even normal polite attentiveness. But then in that wilderness church, Edwards began to preach his sermon, a sermon that he preached before, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Such was the impact of his preaching that people listening shrieked and cried out, and the crying and weeping became so loud that Edwards was forced to to discontinue his sermon and instead those other pastors that came gathered the people in small groups and prayed with them and many came to a saving knowledge of Christ that day. It was an unexpected response. It appeared, it appeared in a church that was a wilderness, it appeared in the context of preaching and if such was the impact of the preaching of Jonathan Edwards, imagine the impact of the preaching of John the Baptist, and we can only imagine. Wouldn't you like to have a tape of John the Baptist's sermon? I have the last message preached by Brother John Merck on my phone. I turn it on sometimes just to hear his voice. I remember how he preached. 
and he often preached with great power and great effectiveness. So, it says next, not only did he, he appear in the wilderness preaching, but he came preaching a baptism of repentance. Remember, John the Baptist conducted baptisms. That's why he was called the Baptist, not because he was a Baptist. Uh, but this said he was preaching a baptism of repentance. It was not baptism that John was calling for in his preaching, although he did baptize. It was repentance. The real baptism was an overflowing flood that swept up those present in a mood of brokenness over their personal sin. You ask, how can that be when it says he was preaching a baptism of repentance and he baptized people? Well, you remember, and we'll read the scripture in just a moment, when he saw the scribes and Pharisees coming to be baptized, he looked at them and said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? First, first, bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance. He demanded evidence of the baptism that came from the Spirit of God, plunging them to, into an atmosphere of conviction, contrition, and repentance. Bruce Barton tells how the first important, important journalistic assignment that came to him was to expose Billy Sunday, the evangelist. Some of you have never heard of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a, an evangelist that probably preceded Billy Graham. Let's say he was in the generation before Billy Graham. And uh, Billy Sunday also, he was a professional baseball player. And he got saved in a rather dramatic way and preached dramatically. Sometimes he would slide into base while he was preaching. or He preached very vividly, let's just say, using his body language. But he, that journalist was to expose Billy Sunday. So he chose three towns where Billy Sunday had preached. He said, I talked to the merchants, and they told me that during the meetings and afterward, people walked up to the counter and paid bills that, that were so old they had been written off the books. He went to one town and talked to the president of the Chamber of Commerce that Billy Sunday had visited three years before, and he said, I am not a member of any church. I never attend. But I will tell you one thing. If it was proposed now to bring Billy Sunday to this town, and we knew as much about the results uh, as, in advance as we, as we do now, and if the churches would not raise the necessary funds to bring him here. I know other merchants in this town who also don't attend church who would give the money for him to come. He left a different moral atmosphere than when he came. And that changed everything that Bruce Barton was going to write about Billy Sunday. Did you know that when Billy Graham went to Shreveport, Louisiana and preached, uh, liquor sales dropped by 40% and the sale of Bibles increased by 300%. When he preached in Seattle, amongst the results stated is uh, several impending divorce, act, divorce actions canceled. And in Greensboro, North Carolina, the, re the report was that the entire social structure of the city was impacted. That doesn't happen because there's a preacher preaching. You understand that. 
It didn't happen because Jonathan Edwards was preaching at Enfield that day. It didn't happen because of the title of his sermon or, uh, or the text of his sermon or, 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 or the focus of his message. And, and when John the Baptist was preaching, it wasn't because John the Baptist was preaching. It was because God was at work in those places. One of the greatest uh, stories of what Christianity can do came out of the mutiny on the bounty. Perhaps you've heard of that or seen a movie about it. The mutineers were put ashore on Pitcairn Island. There were nine mutineers, six native men, ten native women, and a girl, 15 years old. And on that island, as they were there, seemingly marooned, one of them was successful in making some moonshine. And they drank it. And all of them died but one. His name was Alexander Smith. Smith, in the luggage that they carried, happened to find a Bible. He read it and became a believer and decided to gather together the natives who were on that island and to create a Christian society. It was 20 years before another American ship passed that way and stopped. And when they stopped, they found a completely Christian community. It was said there was no jail because there was no crime. There was no hospital because there was no disease. There was no asylum because there was no insanity. There was no illiteracy. And nowhere in the world was human life and human property so safe. That's not because of somebody. That happens because of the working of God's Spirit. So, John the Baptist appeared. He appeared in the wilderness. He appeared in the wilderness preaching, and he appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance. And next, he appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As you know, there is no forgiveness without repentance. In 1 John, we read in our Sunday school class this morning, well, we didn't read it, but we were close to it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, out in that wilderness where John the Baptist was preaching, another miracle was taking place, and it's a miracle that we've not mentioned. And the miracle is, and by the way, this is a picture of the Judean wilderness. The miracle is, that there were people out there in the wilderness to hear him preach. He didn't go into the city. He stayed in the wilderness where he had a sense of nearness to God. And without the publicity that we might use to draw crowds, the Bible tells us that crowds came. He, he never preached in the city. All his preaching was in the wilderness. But his preaching shook people out of the cities. His preaching shook Herod's palace. And by what? could only be called a miracle of God. People streamed out of those cities into the wilderness to hear John. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, let me read. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Produce 
fruit in keeping with repentance. But uh, although they were phony, there were others there who were quite convicted. As a matter of fact, one of the things that interests me in the story of John the Baptist and among those who came, there were soldiers there. Imagine that. These, think of what soldiers looked like in that day. Think of a gladiator. Think of some big, muscled, strong man, brave, fearless, broken broken under the preaching of John the Baptist. And, it's, and, and, and they cried out, What shall we do? That's something only God can do. Do you suppose God could do that here? In this wilderness church with ordinary people, ordinary preacher, an extraordinary movement of God's Spirit, what did these men need? What was it that made them cry out? What did they want from John the Baptist? They wanted what he was preaching, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. They wanted to be cleansed. They wanted to be free of the burden of sin. They wanted to feel a connection to God like the connection they felt when they heard John the Baptist preaching. It was something he couldn't give. In fact, you might remember he said, I baptize you with water, but there is one whose sandal I am not worthy to untie who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And they looked forward to that. They looked ahead to that. They were preparing for what they hoped God would do in their lives. Would you so desire such a work of God in your life that you would adjust your life, that you would repent of your sins, that you would confess those sins, that you would draw near to God and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it? Whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment we ask, God, that you would speak and uh, you would speak to our hearts. And not only speak tonight, but Lord, also in the future. We need that so desperately, Lord. We are helpless without you. What would John have been in the wilderness Without you, he would have been a lone voice, and he was a voice crying. But Lord, what a work you did, drawing people, sending your spirit of conviction into their lives, and bringing them to their knees. Oh Lord, that you would do that here, that you would do that in me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand as we sing?